Well, the Lowe's are in lockdown, but it's so great to be able to join you today. We're actually joining the Lowe's live streaming to some bars. So thankful we can do that as we continue in our series in 1 Corinthians. And so it'd be super helpful to have your Bibles open or your Bible app ready. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But as we come to God's word, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the goodness of your word. And we thank you that as we come to your word, we can do so not merely by our own power, intellect, nor might, but in your strength and by your power. So Lord, please this day, bit work in the power of your Holy Spirit, softening our hearts to receive the word that you have planted in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The church in Corinth were masters of contention. They managed to make almost everything and anything into a competition. It's often really tempting as a parent to try and introduce a little bit of competition in order to try and incentivize some action and outcome that you want. Now, of course, this is not an innovative strategy. It's a long-held strategy, but it is particularly useful now with the Olympic Games. Who can get out of the bath and into the pyjamas first in order to get the gold? The only problem, of course, is that it doesn't take long before it ends in squabbling. The kids obstructing one another, pointing out one another's shortcomings of the sibling's performance, or even asserting that their performance is superior to their brother or their sister. The Corinthians, sadly, aren't far from this. They've battled over which of their leaders is the best. They've prized who has the superior knowledge. They've undermined the Lord's Supper with their divisions between rich and poor. And now in chapter 12, with spiritual gifts, they're weighing one gift over the other and even viewing particular gifts as some sort of spiritual marker of spiritual authenticity. Despite being enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge, that's what Paul said to the Corinthians right back at the beginning of the letter, the Corinthians treat the church like a competition buying and scrambling to see who's the spiritual top dog. And it's not only tearing them apart, but it's distracting them from the cause. They're missing the point. There's not just an issue about leaders, knowledge, meals and gifts. It's an issue about misplaced confidence that runs really deep. They're confident in themselves instead of being confident in the Lord. It's already Warning straight up, if it's in ourselves that we find our confidence, it's going to spill out in all sorts of unhelpful ways into every single facet of the life of our church. So Paul says, chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. When Paul says uninformed, it's a little hat tip. It means that this is a new teaching. Paul, up to this point, hasn't addressed it elsewhere. But the word uninformed also carries a sense of how he doesn't want their lack of knowledge to lead them into sin. And whilst Paul, of course, goes on to reference a whole array of spiritual gifts, right here in verse 1, he's likely got the gift of tongues in mind first up, for it seemingly had become quite the point of contention in Corinth. It's likely referring not to a miraculous gift of speaking another language like that we witness on the day of Pentecost, 
but a type of ecstatic speech that requires translation. In the former pagan worship, before they were Christians, the, the Corinthians often have longed to be led astray in forms of spiritual ecstasy. And perhaps now, as Christians still seeking something similar, they think, oh, the gift of tongues is it. It's the bee's knees of spiritual gifts. It seems that they had even started to think that that was the marker of being a true believer, of truly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Certainly, of course, sadly, some people still mistakenly think that today, that not all Christians have received the Spirit, that some gifts are necessary to demonstrate the presence of the Spirit. But Paul, in chapter 12, immediately takes a wrecking ball to that idea, saying that it is a very dangerous misconception. So verse 3, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, something they perhaps heard when they're in the, temple, in the pagan temples. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So hear what Paul is saying. If the true measure of being a Christian is the conviction and confession that Jesus is Lord, and it is only by the Holy Spirit that anyone can make that confession, then every Christian, therefore, has received the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, Corinthians, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. Stop squabbling. As brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no second-class citizens. That's how you need to understand your gifts. That there is one body with essential parts, including every one of you. So first, if the Corinthians are going to have right thinking about their gifts, something that we long for as well, right thinking about our gifts, then they and we need to understand, first and foremost, that there is one body. We see that in the source, the purpose, and the integration of our gifts. So first know that the source of our gifts is not from ourselves, but from God. So verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. When Paul says different kinds of gifts, service and working, He's not talking about three different things. He's not making some sort of arbitrary distinction between those things. Those words are largely interchangeable. He's making the point three times over with emphasis that all of our gifts have only one source, God. Different gifts, but the same spirit. Different service, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Different work, but the same God. That is the Father. Notice this is thoroughly Trinitarian. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the giver of our gifts. In fact, we really need to feel the full force of what Paul is saying here. He keeps driving the point home over and over and over again throughout this chapter. You'll note that when he lists the various gifts, and of course this list isn't extensive, in verses 8 to 10, be it wisdom, knowledge, faith, likely that in very trying circumstances, or healing, or miraculous powers, which we're actually not entirely sure what is meant in this context, prophecy, which we looked at last week, or the various gifts associated with speaking in tongues, Paul says the source is the same Spirit, the same Spirit, the one Spirit, 
the same spirit. It means there's no such thing as sub-spiritual or super-spiritual gifts. It means there's no cause to look at someone and think we're better. It means there's no cause to be looking over our shoulder and think we're less or be jealous or resent others. For all gifts have the same source. I think it's so easy, especially in our culture, to get our giftedness and our worth all scrambled together and mixed up. To either think we're superior to others because of our gifts, or to think we're inferior to others because of our gifts. But Paul says that's nonsensical. It makes zero sense. Gifts should make us feel neither insecure nor arrogant because we've got as much control over what gifts we've been given as where we've been born. When you recognize a gift in yourself, give thanks. It's from God. When you recognize a gift in another, give thanks. It's from God. But our gifts don't have a common source, don't just have a common source, but also a common purpose. So verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Our gifts are not for ourselves, not for our personal gain or enjoyment, but for the common good. Common good doesn't merely mean some sort of collective do-gooding, but that as we're given these gifts, we're actually together caught up in the glorious purposes of God. It's actually an amazing, phenomenal image that as God is at work with his purposes and his end game in mind, he has gifted every single believer with particular gifts to work towards his goals. It really is quite extraordinary to even begin to get our heads, to wrap our heads around as we think about how God has been gifting his people across time and place. That even when we can't see how the great myriad of people and gifts all can possibly link together and all link together, we're told God is in fact perfectly orchestrating his church to achieve precisely what he desires. It astounds me on a Sunday, just to think about here at St. Barnes, over 120 people using gifts in a variety of ways. Today, it's really Amazing that we can be at multiple sites, streaming together, gathered, people all over the place joining in, but one body. And of course, one Sunday at one church is just a tiny glimpse. It's a tiny snapshot of how God is at work through his people over all the globes on every front line for his purposes. And that's the key. Our gifts are from God and for God. Our gifts are not some tool for our own personal, spiritual growth journey. But as one commentator puts it, to advance God's kingdom in the face of the principalities and powers of this world. That's what every believer is caught up in. That's what every believer is part of. That's why it makes no sense for the Corinthians to despise one gift over another. That's why it makes no sense. It's utter nonsense for the Corinthians to think themselves more important than another. This is not Santa dishing out gifts for the person to choose if they set it aside or exercise as they want, but gifts from the Lord God that we need to mobilize 
for the glorious purposes of God. Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to see the gifts, not from an individual point of view and then the body, but they may first see the body, see the whole, and then the parts. Can you just imagine if we did this, if we thought more of the whole than ourselves? Of course, we do this all the time in other contexts. I mean, it makes total sense. Imagine for a moment when someone arrives at your house and it's announced that so-and-so has arrived, you don't say, everyone, Adam's arms, hands, legs, head, eyes, ears, feet, well, they've all arrived. And you say, Adam has arrived. But in individualistic culture, this is a radical move. It's a flip in our thinking. Not how can I make a contribution to the body, but because God has formed us as his body, what is my part? We're Christ's body. We're one because we're unified in Jesus. Verse 12, if you'd look with me, please. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We're not just widgets in a machine, but we're Christ's body at work. Second, if the Corinthians are going to have right thinking about their gifts, they need to understand that the one body is made up of essential parts. So verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, that might seem blindingly obvious that a body has many parts or members. In fact, the word for part, sometimes we might say a member, is where we get the idea and the concept of a member of the church. And whilst we have seen Paul make the point crystal clear of how interconnected we are, he's now making the point that every single part is essential. That whilst there is unity in the body of Christ, we're not uniform. I'm so thankful for that. Imagine how boring that would be of how little we'd be able to achieve. Paul's already listed a whole raft of gifts that God has given. Paul's going to go on to name a whole range of gifts that have been entrusted. And if you go through the New Testament, you'll find 20 or 21, depending on how you count it, 20 or 21 gifts named. But these aren't meant to be exhaustive lists. Paul's point is that every part is essential. Every part contributes to the purpose of the whole. That's made clear in fairly comical fashion in verses 15 to 17. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Of course, it would be totally ridiculous. Imagine waking up one morning and you wake up to the sound of your, your eye and your ear debating who's out, who's not necessary. But Paul is saying, Corinthians, this might sound ridiculous, but it's you. This is how ridiculous you are when you need to realize our differences don't disconnect us from the body. Our differences are what define us and make us a body. We're not just a collection of feet, eyes, hands, or ears. We're a body with different parts serving different roles for the whole. Verse 18. 
But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Enormous implication. If every part is essential, for after all, the Lord God has placed us, has placed those parts, it means that every part is equal. It means there's no cause to reject any part of saying you have no part. It means there's no cause to think that we don't have a part of saying I have no part. I remember one day when I was going to a concert by one of my favourite composers of all time. When I walked in, I had never before imagined that anything good could come of the tambourine. Massive apology to anyone who's a fan of the tambourine, but I had never thought, never entertained that that could be possible. But when I walked out, much to my surprise, I realised that the tambourine could actually be essential. We don't need to worry about what gift is valued in one particular cultural moment or the next. We just need to be concerned with how God has gifted, arranged and valued. There are a variety of parts. Each part is essential. Each part is equal. Regardless of whether or not they're on show, regardless of whether or not they seem more important or not. That's Paul's point in verses 22 and 23 about the weaker and less honourable body parts. He said all are essential, all are equal. Which means verse 25, big implication, there should be no division in the body. What does that look like? Well, Paul tells us that we would have equal concern for each other. Not just concern, but that we had equal concern for each other. Suffering together, for we carry one another's burdens. Rejoicing when one part is honoured. We're not jealous for all part of the one body. Not just being in it together when it suits or when we want to, but because we recognise that we're fundamentally joined, fundamentally unified in Christ and diversely gifted for his glory. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And that includes you. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So having painted the picture of the whole, Paul now returns to the individual. First you, all of you who confess Jesus as Lord, you're part of the body of Christ. Which also means you, each one of you, have a part to play in God's church. Are you all apostles, prophets, teachers? The obvious answer, no, of course not. God's made you unified, not uniform. So use your gifts for him. Sometimes people can get really worried, really worked up and even anxious about what gift they've been given. Sometimes people can start to wonder, do I even have a gift? 
But here is the amazing news, that if you trust in Jesus, God has given you a gift. There is no living Christian without a gift from God. There's no living church without any gifts. And whilst there's lots of ways you can set about trying to discern your gifts, I want to encourage that the best place to start is simply by putting our whole lives on the table for God. Every front line, every facet, the whole deal. Use the surveys, those spiritual gifts, inventories, ask brothers and sisters in Christ to help you discern your gift. That's all great. But if you do all of that without recognizing our whole lives are a gift for God, you will miss the point. Margaret Cope, a beloved member of our church who went home to the Lord some years ago now, so often taught me what it looked like to use our gifts for God. Margaret, many of you will know, was born blind, but there was seemingly nothing that she could not do. When we gathered for services at the aged care community where she lived, she would be at the keyboard ready to play. When we began to sing, she would be singing at the top of her voice. If there was a person in need, she would be the first person to pray. If there was someone who was sad, she would somehow find their hand and hold it tight. And if there was anyone who would listen, and perhaps even those who would not, she would tell them about the Lord Jesus. Did she think she was special or superior? No. But she loved the Lord, and nothing was going to stop her from using her life for Him. The Corinthians were full of gifts, an abundance of gifts. They were richly and wonderfully gifted. But their gifts were totally undermined by their immaturity, by a lack of love. They needed to desire the greater gifts. That's what we'll see in chapter 13, that they wouldn't seek gifts to be puffed up, but they would lovingly use their gifts to build up. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for all of those people in our lives who have been instrumental in pointing us to you and explaining the gospel that we might come to put our trust in your Son. Lord, we thank you so much for the ways in which you gifted them and their obedience and faithfulness in using their gifts. Lord, please give us insight and wisdom in recognizing our gifts that we might lay our whole lives on the table and use our gifts on every front line, recognizing all our gifts are from you, that we might use them for you. Lord, we thank you so much that in ways that we can barely begin to fathom, that we are caught up in your mission to the world with your end game in mind. So, Lord, please help us to play our part, trusting in the goodness of your purposes. We also pray, Father, that you would reveal to us in the power of your Spirit anything that impedes the use of the gifts you've entrusted to us, that you would grow us in maturity, that we would spare one another on, that would help to discern gifts, would encourage and honour every part of your body that is essential, that we all, together as one, direct our hearts and lives to you in praise and especially as we seek to make mature disciples of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for the ways in which you have gifted us and blessed us in the power of your Spirit. 
might all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.